feel like that was a concert. It's awesome. Love concerts. Well, today's Father's Day. Sometimes that brings uh, great joy to one's heart. Sometimes it brings great sadness to one's heart. It's a very tricky thing to do in Father's Day. Am I getting too much feedback? I'll back up a little bit. You know, because when we think about our dads, there's either great memories or not so great memories. Um, when I try to call my dad on Father's Day, he doesn't want to hear Happy Father's Day. He just wants to talk about something else. So I, it's always the challenge to try to honor my dad. He doesn't want to, you know, for his birthday, my dad would want one thing, a new pair of underwear. <laughs> you know, for Christmas, he wants a new T-shirt, a white T-shirt. He doesn't want anything from his kids. That's, it's, so it's hard to connect with dad when you're trying to have a special talk with your dad. It's very difficult because he doesn't want to go there. Don't talk about that stuff. Pair of underwear. Yes, I like underwear. Um, so it's very tricky to talk about dads. And I'm going to talk about a dad today, a father, that I think all of us can find refuge in. And that's God. The Bible describes God as a father. Now, in the Bible, it says this about God. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. God understands that human fathers fail their children. God understands that because he is the creator of all. But what, we, what he wants us to focus on is not necessarily our earthly fathers, good or bad, but him. Because you might have had an awesome earthly father or have an awesome earthly father, but he doesn't even compare to God. Or you might have had a not so good relationship. Maybe you grew up without a father. Maybe your father left the family early. Maybe your father was overwhelmed and deserted. Whatever your situation is, God is a God to the fatherless. He does not abandon his children. Um, you know, we all need a father. We all need one. 40% of fathers in the United States do not live with their children. Staggering, isn't it? You think that would be a third world country statistic? It's actually a first world country statistic. You know, um, whether your father was absent emotionally, absent physically, absent spiritually, uh, fathers affect us, whether we admit it or not. It affects our way of life. Um, you know, me being around my kids, I see how they want to make me happy. Your kids, when they're young, at least for the most part, want to try to do things that make you happy. And when they get older, sometimes it changes. Sometimes they do things just to frustrate you. Um, but when they're little, it's great. And this is a very scary situation because a lot of kids are, they kind of grow up, you know, with this scar, this wound from the father. Sometimes our dads are funny looking. Maybe we're not proud of our dads, but sometimes they're funny looking. You know, my dad would always wear these, uh, these uh, shorts with colored socks and his penny loafers. And, and, and a collared shirt. It's like, Dad, this is not Ecuador. We don't go out that way in America. 
Maybe your dad had, you know, strange uh, facial hair. Maybe he was a little crazy. Hey, that's a dad. Maybe he's funny. Hello. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Despite your father, despite you you had one or didn't have one, despite the way you were treated, this is what God says, that you are his children. Your dad is God's child too. Everyone is a child of God. And the Bible says that is what you are. You know, what we need from our fathers are a few things. We need love. It's important that uh, the father loves and the, and the children know. Um, approval for who they are. You know, they may not be what you want them to be, but you approve of who they are as a person. Acceptance, accepting their, sometimes our children's, uh, you know, slants or bends to life. Active participation, meaning involvement, and spoken belief. Every one of these, maybe every one of these is what God gives us as humans. You may have not ever seen this in your life. You may have only seen one or two of these in your life, and you're missing the rest. God gives us every one of these. He approves of you. He accepts you. He's involved in your life. And he has spoken through his word on what he feels about you. We're going to look at that. In the Bible, and my first point is, the Father, God the Father, is encouraging. Look in your Bibles in Isaiah 62. God the Father is encouraging. Let's go back one slide. Turn to Isaiah 62. Now, I want to give you a concept here that I want you to try to memorize. Okay? If you can write this down and memorize this, it will help you. Okay, before we read Isaiah, I want, to, I want to look at something. Look at the board here. God is not, God is not a bigger version of your earthly father. So he's not like your dad who you have and just a lot bigger. Okay, that's not who God is. He's not a bigger version of your earthly father. He is the, he is the perfect Version. He's what you always wanted your dad to be like. He is the perfect version of our earthly fathers. This has helped me tremendously. Because a lot of times I'm stunted emotionally because I think sometimes that God is kind of like my dad. He's disappointed when I make the bad decision, he gets angry when I don't listen. Um, I feel like my dad doesn't hear me. And that's literally true because my dad's deaf in one ear. He, he had a hard time hearing me. You know, I, I had to make sure I was on the right side of his body to hear him. A lot of times we have a conversation, he's ignoring me. I'm going, oh. Dad. He is not a bigger version. He's not your dad in a big way. 
He's the perfect version. Isaiah 62. Look what it says here. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. This is God talking. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. And you'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name, your land name be named desolate. But you will be called Hezebah and your land Bulah. For the Lord will delight in you and your land will be married. This is what God feels about his people. He says, you are a splendor in his hand. You are a royal diadem. This is a royal diadem. This is something that royalty gets. It's very accurate because in 1 Peter 2, the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. That's how he feels about us. God looks at us as royalty. You know, my dad never looked at me as royalty. I wish he would have, saw the great things I would do. You know, I long for my dad to have been at some of my soccer games. He came to two in 20 years. And I got a full-ride scholarship. But when I became a Christian in college, I knew that God was watching me. I remember in a game, we were losing 1-0 to El Camino City College. And they were one of the best teams in the league. I remember running on the field, I said, God, give me a goal so I can tie this game. Just let me have one. And the the defenders were all tall, and it was very unlikely that I would score a goal with my head. The chances, if you know soccer, is very unlikely. Especially for me. I hate using my head because it always used to do something to my neck. And in in the 89th minute of the game, I got a cross in. And for some reason, it came right at me. And I, I want to say I, I, I jumped in the air and hit my, and I want to say that. But it, it kind of hit me in the head. <laughs> and it went in the corner of the goal. Awesome. I put my head down in defense because it was scary. You thought I would go like this, but I went like this. And it went in. I asked God and he gave it to me, but it is not the way I planned it in my mind. I thought I was going to be on my feet, slot it, run around. And when, I, and when I hit it, I was kind of dizzy going, and everyone was screaming. I remember everyone jumping on top of me. And me sitting underneath all these bodies of men that I said, thank you, God, for listening to me. Because in my heart, I wanted God to listen. And that during a time in the, in the soccer match, I felt he listened. You know, my father was rarely there, but I knew that God was there. God is encouraging, is he not? You know, in 1 Thessalonians, it says this. It says, uh... For you know that the way we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel who calls you into his kingdom. We're going to look at three things about God. God is encouraging. God thinks you're a royal diadem. God thinks you're special. The second thing we're going to look at is how comforting he is. Look over in your Bibles in Isaiah chapter 61. So God's encouraging. Look at, look at this scripture here. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. 
You don't think God knows you? He knows you. He's engraved you. Your name is on his hand. He knows how you feel. I mean, I, I'm not sure I would put, put Jaden's name on my hand. I love Jaden, but I don't think I would do that. But God does it for us. I don't know if I tattoo my names on my palms of my kids. But God feels that way. He's a defender of the oppressed. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is a picture in Africa of a vulture waiting to eat those who are dying of starvation. God says, listen. Now, people always ask me, if if God is all-powerful, why does he allow this? Because he's allowed us to make our own decisions about life, to choose right over wrong. Men choose evil and make people suffer. But in the end of day, look what God says. They will never again strike terror when they face the Lord. This boy passes away. The photographer who took this picture committed suicide because of the tragedy of what he saw. And sometimes we can look at these things and, and lose our sense of, is God around? God is around. God has seen tyrants rise and fall. But as Zaldi said, every man dies once, and then there's judgment. There is a judge for the one who causes evil, and they will face justice in this life or the next. God is comforting, Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort all who mourn. Think about the last time you cried. God is a comforting God. God feels every tear that we shed. He's not some distant father who doesn't want to be involved in your intimate moment of emotionalism. He wants to be right there. And a lot of times we've we've had experiences where Our dads were not there when we were needed him the most, or we needed that tender shoulder to lean on. But God says, hey, look, I'm not a bigger version of your dad. I'm the perfect version of your dad. I'm what what you always wanted him to be. I am. Comforting. You know, Jesus rebukes his disciples because the children trying to get a little hug from Jesus. They're all, get back. Get back, children. Can't you see we're trying to build the kingdom? And Jesus rebukes his disciples and says, no, bring the children to me. God cares about our hearts. You know, a lot of times we, we mourn, and this is, what, this is what these writers say in the Psalms. It says, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. How can we be comforted when we need comfort? To get back into the word of God. You know, we're going through a hard time. God says, look, hey, the writer here, remember my promise, God says. Remember that I promised you not to harm you, but to prosper you. I got a plan for you. 
In the meantime, I find comfort in your promise. You know, we're going to be on earth until Jesus comes back. And maybe we'll pass on before he comes. But we can find this comfort in the word. Whenever I'm going through a hard time, how do I talk to God or how does God talk to me? Through the word. I can find comfort in his promise. God promises not to harm me. That's a promise he promised Israel when they were captives in Babylon. God says, I'm going to get you out of there in 70 years. And guess what? In 70 years, God got him out. In fact, I'm going to get you out of your, out of your, your being a slaves to Babylon. I'm going to get you out of here in the most dramatic fashion. I'm going to have their king release you because of me. And he's going to acknowledge my name. That's how crazy it was. You think another nation would come and destroy it and free Jews? No. King Cyrus stood up and says, I'm sending the Jewish people back to their, build their temple. That was the promise. I'll get you out in 70 years. Because that was the discipline for them disobeying God. Even during discipline, God loves us. God is encouraging. God is comforting. And God is urging. You ever seen? A, ever have a dad urge you? Not yell at you, but urge you? Like, come on. You can do the right thing. Come on. You ever urge your brother or sister? Come on. Do the right thing. Live for God. Proverbs 7, verse 1. Look what it says here. My son. This is like a father and a son. Keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. You know when someone says, when grandma used to say, you're the apple of my eye, honey. She was quoting Proverbs 7. That was in the Bible. All those little cute sayings, I found them. They're in the Bible. It's pretty awesome. As a father stands with the son, God urges us to keep his commands. He urges us to live a life worthy of the gospel. You only get that urging when you're in the word. When you're not in the word, you don't get urged at all. He get urged in Joshua 7. Look, look, God tells Joshua when, uh, when Israel has sinned, he goes, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them. Sometimes God tells you to stand up. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Amen. You know, if you're a Christian and you sin, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stand up. You know why it's so hard like that? Because if you feel sorry for yourself, it leads only one place, death, spiritually. He urges us to stand up. You sin, don't feel sorry for yourself. I got enough grace here that'll last all your sins. Stand up and accept it. And stand up and change. Imagine hearing those words. I want to stand like twice. He's not like, stand up so I can beat you. No. Stand up and accept the grace and change. That's why you stand. That's why you're urged. God does not want to punish us for our sins because that's been done by Jesus. God wants us to stand and change a life worthy of the gospel. A father in heaven, he comforts like a father on earth, does he not? I've come to comfort all who mourn. 
Earlier today, a brother thought I, was, I turned into a Celtic fan because I wore green today. I told him, I, more, I like the Father, mourn with those who mourn. I like the Father, mourn with those who mourn. He comforts like a father. The gentle cheek on a child's face. He urges, stores up, keep my words, guard my words in your hearts. Guard them, keep them there. He's encouraging. You're a crown of splendor in the list. How God feels about you. Your crown of splendor, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. For the Lord will delight in you. God gets happy about you. Sometimes you feel like, what's there to be happy about, God? God feels happy about you. Every decision you make, God is aware of them. He still delights in us. Huh. I'm going to show you slides about how God feels about us. I know you when you sit down and when you rise up. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. God is talking to us. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I am not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you. Simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, Matthew 7. For I am the perfect father, Matthew 5. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider, and I meet all your needs, Matthew 6. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, Jeremiah 29. My thoughts toward you are countless as sand on the seashore, Psalm 139. As my child, you are called by my name. I created you for my glory. One day, I will wipe every tear from your eyes. And I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you, even as I have loved my son Jesus. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. Jesus died that we could be together. His death 
was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. Nothing can separate you from my love. I love you more because of who you are than what you do. You have my very DNA inside of you. Even if your mother and father forsake you, I never will. You are loved. You are precious. You are beautiful. You are mine. To God be the glory. Have a happy Father's Day.